Hi, everyone, and welcome back to the Call Her Doctor podcast, a podcast for and about women pursuing advanced degrees in STEM. I'm Natalie. I'm the host of this podcast, and this week I am back with the second half of my conversation with Haley. Last week, we talked about Haley's research, how she found her lab, and talked a little bit about the culture of graduate school and academic science. So if you haven't heard that first part, definitely check that out. And then this week, we are talking a lot more about scientific communication, careers in that field, and the importance of that type of communication. And we also get into the peer review process, what it is, why it's important, and all of that. Um, You can find all of Haley's information linked in the show notes. Um, Enjoy and be sure to share with your friends. So do you know kind of what you want to do after? I know you said that maybe not academic research, but what do you have any idea? Yeah. uh, So I've kind of flip-flopped around and like thought about a lot of different things, kind of the same way I did in undergrad. um, Because these are big decisions, right? And I want to like make sure that I make the best decision that I can at that time. Um, And so for a long time, like coming into grad school, I was like, yeah, I want to go to grad school because I want to run a research lab. And this is what you do to do that. Um, And then over time, I kind of because what I always liked about academic science was I really enjoy talking to people about science, writing about science, like, you know, telling people about the cool stuff that's happening. Um, I do actually really enjoy writing grants, which a lot of people do not like to do that. Um, But like, you know, coming up with new ideas and putting them together and figuring out, okay, this is how we're going to answer that question and then submitting that to a funding agency to get money, I was like, yeah, I like to do all those things. So like the end stage of like an academic career in science, I was like, that seems great. And that's what I want. Um, And so that was like kind of my motivation to come to graduate school. And like, you know, I would have conversations with people where, you know, I've struggled a lot in graduate school, as have we all. Um, but it's, it's really, it's a lot, not for the faint of heart, I tell you what, but, um, you know, I had a mentor once who told me, she was like, you know, you're going to be a fantastic professor. Like you are going to be such a great mentor. And like you do, you have so many good ideas and like, you're great at grants and all this stuff. So like, you're going to be really great at that, but like, you kind of just have to suffer through graduate school to get to that point. Um, and at that time I was like, yeah, 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 yeah. Like, thank you for the affirmation. Uh, yes, I will suffer through this process to get what I want. Um, and basically like, you know, I always said that the writing and the communication and stuff was like my favorite part. And then kind of during the pandemic, when I was like thinking about stuff, I was, I realized that I could say that same sentence, but flip it backwards and say that the bench work, the actual research is not my favorite part of my job. Um, which was like what I'd been saying for years, but like to flip it like that, I was like, oh God, like that really changes the game. (laughs) Um, So I have decided to um, go for a job in science communication after my PhD. Um, And that is like a decision I made like in the last couple of months, because I was still like my personal pride and like my understanding of the jobs available. I was like, I still really like teaching, like teaching is something I'm really passionate about. So 
I'm going to go do a postdoc and still go the faculty route and go to like a primarily undergraduate institution and like maybe run a research lab, maybe not um, so that I can teach. But then I kind of realized um, through like lots of different conversations with different people, like there are ways for me to start doing what I like to do now without suffering through another like at least two years like I my plan was to go to Europe and do a postdoc which like that was the only way I could get myself to do it is if I was like gonna go live in a cool place and meet new people and like you know their postdocs are generally shorter than the ones in the U.S. like I think there's like five years is like the max and like here in the U.S. five years is like the minimum for a postdoc um so I but yeah, so basically I've realized there, I don't need to, like the research is not the most fun part to me and therefore I'm not going to make myself keep doing that. Um, so I'm looking at uh, stuff in science communication, which is a very broad field of course, but um, really any kind of translating science for uh, people who are not scientists, AKA the majority of our sweet green world and so anything like that, like some of the jobs that have looked really cool to me when I kind of poke around are like, um, there was one job at a nonprofit that funds like pediatric cancer research. And my job would have been like telling people about the research that their money is funding, right? Um, so there's a lot of different things that seem cool to me. Um, and so we'll just, we'll just see what I end up doing, but something in communication of science for sure. That's really cool. Okay, I was gonna ask because I know you've been doing some. You do like Science Saturdays on Instagram, yes, and you've been check doing, out my Instagram. <laughs> yes, I will link her Instagram um, in the show notes for sure and share it on my Instagram and stuff. But I was curious, kind of like, were you wanting to go more the science communication route? And yeah, that's yep, awesome. Yep, yep, yep. Yeah, that's I'm awesome. trying to build a portfolio or whatever because, mm -hmm. uh, like, it's really hard to develop like. I feel like PhDs, we have a difficult time acknowledging our soft skills and also developing like a record, like a track record of science communication can be challenging because that is not uh, the, the main thing that we are getting paid to do. Like definitely, um, especially you and I, Natalie, on the NSF funding, uh, part of a very important part of that funding is our outreach and volunteer service with our communities which is very different from like most of the ways that science is funded. Um, like every time I have to do my progress report, I like, you know, do a paragraph on my outreach, a paragraph on my research. And my mentor is always like, I just don't like, nobody cares about the outreach. Like you just need to like, just delete that paragraph. And I'm like, every year I have to be like, no, no, it's different. Like they do really want to know like what I've been doing. Um, so, so yeah, so I have been doing a lot of, like pre-pandemic, a lot of like stuff with high school and elementary school students, like in person, um, just getting kids excited about science because I decided to kind of utilize the existing infrastructure of science outreach and communication at UT Southwestern instead of like pioneering my own program. <clears throat> and so then with the pandemic, I realized like lots of people were looking to me as a source of information that they trusted. Um, 
about like COVID and the vaccines and stuff. And so people were like reaching out to me all the time. I was writing a lot of emails and long text messages. Uh, and so I decided to just start posting about it on Instagram so that I could just do it once, save it as a highlight and be like, if you have questions, please refer to my Instagram. Please don't email me. I mean, you can obviously please email me. Like I love to talk about it, but like I was answering the same questions over and over again. Um, and I just find it to be really fun and like maybe one of the easier ways to do science communication for me personally, like a lot of people write blogs. Um, but to me, writing a blog is like so much work and like people don't read blogs. <laughs> like maybe you guys read blogs, but I don't read blogs. Like only if you're my friend and like, probably not for very long will I read your blog because it's just like, not to me, not a super engaging, like media format. So, uh, the Instagram stuff, and I got so much positive feedback from people when I started doing it, that I was like, Oh, like I could make this a real thing. Like, and it actually like people are learning stuff. And even if I'm doing something that's like, not clinically relevant, quote unquote, basic science, uh, people are like, Oh, that's like so cool. Like, thanks for telling us about that. Like, that's so interesting. And I'm like, <laughs> like, like, I just, it's fun to engage with like my friends and like people that I haven't talked to in years will message me and be like, Hey, uh, I have a question about this, but also thanks so much. Like, I always love learning about stuff on your Instagram, blah, blah, blah. Um, so yeah, so that's kind of how I got into it. I know you didn't ask, but I, no, <laughs> that's how no, it kind of became awesome. like a thing is because, uh, that, it, and then like, you know, now I save it all as highlights. And so someday when I'm applying for a job, I can, I'm not necessarily looking for a job as like a social media coordinator, cause that's a whole thing, but I can be like, here is a portfolio of me explaining complex scientific ideas, uh, to like regular people. Um, and here is all the feedback of people liking it. And so like, I can tell you, you can see I did a good job. And then also you can see all of these like comments and stuff people send me uh, to empirically show that I'm doing a good job. So please hire me. Yes. And y'all should definitely check this out because there's also pictures of dogs. So whether yes. it's the science <laughs> or the dogs that gets you over there. Yes. Definitely I, check it out. I'm pretty sure I, if I were one of my Instagram followers, I'd probably be in it for the dogs, quite frankly. And I post like terrible pictures of like myself, like, you know, it's just, I try to have fun with it because it is, uh, I think a lot of, especially with COVID, a lot of the science communication has been really interesting. Uh, and I think for non-scientists, um, understanding kind of the choices and the changes in messaging and stuff is like really challenging. And it's just like, why are they being so annoying and dumb about how they're telling us things and what they're telling us? Um, but especially like within communities, I feel like um, so much with like the choices that everyone's making, it has played off of our country's existing climate of polarization. And uh, you end up with a lot of like really like people get really angry and like, I've gotten angry. We've all gotten angry at people on social media or people in our lives um, because we, you know, we feel like we're right and they don't understand our viewpoint. Um, but like those kinds of conversations are like not productive for anyone. And so um, if I feel like my opinion is right, uh, then I need to go about it in a different way to like get people to see what I'm talking about. 
Um, because screaming at each other on social media, as fun as it is, is just not that helpful. So, um, and like I learned that a long time ago, I, I really love like the Lord of the Rings. And whenever people would be like, oh, yeah, I haven't read the Lord of the Rings. I used to get really upset and be like, you know, I'm like, you've seen the movies, but you haven't read the books and the books are so much better. And like, blah, blah, blah. and I'd be like, you have to read the books. And just no one that I ever yelled at about the Lord of the Rings ever read the books. So, <laughs> so now I took that. And so now I go like, oh, you know, you know, it's great that you love the movies. Uh, I really love the books in addition to the movies. And like, here's why. And, you know, if you ever have the time, if you ever have the focus to read these, like, I understand they're very long books. Like, and there's a lot of just walking that happens in these books. And I understand if that's not your vibe. But like, it's really important to me. And here are the reasons that I love it. And like, if, you know, add it to your list, like if you get a chance, just like check it out. And like, people are much more receptive to <laughs> uh, like, a you know, a very personalized, uh, palatable recommendation of a book rather than me screaming at them about why they haven't read Lord of the Rings. And so I, I try to take that approach on my Instagram as well. Um, no screaming allowed. I love it. And it's, it's nice that you have the background in this to be able to explain it. Cause there's a lot of like, you know, kind of the joke of like, I did my own research. It's like, you looked at an article that somebody wrote about a study that somebody else has done. And at no point mm -hmm. do you understand the fundamentals of what's going on here. And so to have it come from someone who does understand those fundamentals and has a background in being able to like read and assess other people's studies and like understand peer review and why is this coming from a non-peer reviewed source and what does it mean to be peer reviewed just all of that kind of stuff to have someone who's capable of doing that and then also sharing it in a way that's like engaging I was telling Haley earlier my dad was looking at her Instagram I think it was one related to like the vaccine and pregnancy or fertility oh, or something yeah, like that. Oh, yeah, that was a big one. Yeah, people yeah. were really freaking out about that one. Yeah. Yeah. So he was looking at that and he was like, this is so cool. And she draws these little pictures of stuff and like explains it really well. <laughs> so yeah, you're definitely, it's, it's stuff that I think people need to see. And there's, it's hard to find a resource that like breaks it down. That's also credible. That's not coming with some other, you know, agenda other than just education. Yes. Yeah. yeah thank you. Awesome. Uh, <laughs> I really enjoy it. And, uh, it is a lot of work, but I, it is really fun. Um, so like after we get off of this, I need to go do my post for the day, but I'm trying to make it, I'm trying to be sneaky. I'm inviting people to like collaborate or whatever. And so like today, uh, what is today? July, August, what month is it anymore? It's August. August. <laughs> August 7th, today, August 7th, 2021, our Science Saturday is about uh, gene therapy for rare diseases. Uh, and all the information has been emailed to me by my dear friend, Claire Morasco, who works at like a small company uh, or, a, you know, it's not like a giant pharmaceutical company. It's like a smaller company that develops gene therapies for rare diseases. And so she sent me a big long email with like, all the information and I just have to pull pictures of my dogs and like make it into a story and like break it down. Um, but like, I didn't have to do the research myself, which like for the, the fertility question about COVID, I had to do a lot of reading. Um, cause you know, that's the whole point is like, I'm not just looking at the title of an article that's about an article that's about a study. Um, so I had to do a lot of 
reading, but it's definitely worth it. Cause like, yeah, what, what's the point of science being done if like people can't uh, communicate that science to other people. So, um, and I really enjoy learning about the fertility thing as well. Like why people were upset about it. And it's just, uh, it's just fascinating how things get uh, what people pull away from things and how it gets totally blown out of proportion. And I think just to say a little bit more about science communication, like the way that scientists are trained uh, really makes it hard. First of all, the type of people that go into science is one thing, uh, generally speaking. And then the way that scientists are trained, like we're trained to uh, very rarely, if ever, make positive conclusive statements like technically the way science works is that you are never proving something right you are only disproving as many alternatives as possible right um so when we talk about like the way that the cdc has been messaging about masking or vaccines like the vaccine thing was like such an epic failure of science communication because it was just people doing their best, but it was people who <clears throat> are trained to never say, yes, this definitely works. Like we are trained to be like, okay, like this probably works, but here are all the caveats that we ran into. And here are all the possible things that we like didn't test. And we like just within this like time period cannot know. So like for a long time, it was like, yeah, we like can't know what the vaccines do to your fertility. Uh, here's all the reasons like why probably not, but like technically there is like this one tiny piece of information that could suggest that like maybe very unlikely, but possibly there's something going on that could impact female fertility but probably not, but like what, you know, it's our job to say the maybes. Um, and then when people who uh, like most people aren't trained to think that way. And so when the average human being reads a thing where it's like, mm, but like maybe this could happen, but like probably not, um, that gets that kind of statement from a scientist versus like someone on the street mean two very different things. And so I think it's uh, the scientists, which like, it's no fault of anyone's. Like we just are trained in a very weird vacuum world to think about things very differently. Um, but it's just like, I think a lot of the problems with COVID communication in particular have really revealed like a lack of the public's understanding of how scientists work and think. And that's not the public's fault, right? Like, yes, in elementary school, we all learned about the scientific method, but like what I remember learning about the scientific method in like fifth grade is like so different from like the actual application of the scientific method in my opinion. Um, and so, yeah, that's also what I try to do in my stories is like shed a little bit of light on like why people did things this way and why they said this, that, or the other thing. And like encourage people always to like read the labels on the graphs. Like what is this actually saying? Uh, and like, what could, what this graph is saying uh, mean in it? Like if you, how can you interpret these numbers differently? Because that's, that's how we're trained, right? 
It's like we we could we do our best to collect the most informative numbers possible, and then uh, interpret those numbers in ideally the most objective way possible. But like science is not objective; it's a very human endeavor. Don't let anyone tell you otherwise. Um, and so you know we do our best to interpret it, but like always in a publication. It's always like, this is the way that we interpreted it and here's why, but also you could have interpreted it in this way or this way or whatever way. Um, because, you know, we want, the goal is to narrow down the details to objective truth, whatever that may be or however you define that. But um, because of that, there's always like, we, we don't ever say this is the way that it is. We, we say, this is the way that probably it is, but also it could be. 10 other different ways um but yeah so I think that 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 uh that difference in like thought processes and like how we talk to like how scientists talk to each other about science uh and how scientists need to talk to people about science are like very different things yeah I would agree and I think like with it's just so rare that the scientific community has to like come to a consensus and make a recommendation to the general public so quickly, like there's never, there's always time, right? And this was just a situation mm -hmm. where we didn't have time. And like mm -hmm. the majority of people agreed that we could recommend the vaccine. And then like, there just, there wasn't, I think a, there should have been a step in between of like, this is the scientific communities like agreement and you know how we're going to communicate to each other and pass this information along and then there kind of needed to be a united front to the general public and i think there was just a missing link there which is is really unfortunate um and then yeah just the scientists scientific like literacy of the general population and i think mm. that's you know there's probably a million factors that go into that but just mm -hmm. a graph that you see on twitter it's like where did the you know people don't even go as far as to ask where did the information come from much less mm -hmm. is that peer-reviewed like what were all of the factors and consideration what is this graph actually saying like they just yep yeah and it's it's frustrating to watch and i don't even come from a pure science background where i have to do as much <laughs> of that you know it's like i do more just design and like oh look this one's better than the other one <laughs> right, so like, right 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 but yeah it's still it's still frustrating to watch yeah. And for those listening who are not familiar with the peer review process, uh, just a quick overview, the yes. peer review uh, in a lot of science basically means like I work for years and years and I generate a bunch of data and I pull it together into a story that has a conclusion, at least one. And then I send that paper, that story. It's really, it's funny. You can think about it as like a picture book. It's full of pictures, like, but it's very much not for children. <laughs> uh, you submit it to a journal <clears throat> and say, will you please, pretty please publish this paper so that the world can know about it um, and know that I'm the one that did it uh, is like a big part of this process as well. Um, and so then that journal says, okay, sure. Like this seems cool, but like we need experts in your field to like, make sure that like you did a good job and you're not just like screwing with us and just like trying, because like, again, the structure of science is a little whack um, in that the number and quality of publications that I have, um, were I to stay in academia would determine the kinds of jobs that I can get 
later on. Like it is very much like the currency with which we evaluate each other, um, you know, for better or for worse. But uh, so you send it to the journal and and there's a lot of uh, pressure on scientists to publish and publish well and as often as possible. So that is where sometimes like fraud can come into play because there is just like extreme pressure to publish. Um, and so as a kind of checkpoint on that, um, journals have, will send your paper to like at least three other experts in your field and say, will you please read this paper and tell us whether or not you think we should publish it. Um, and so the peer review process basically, and I have like helped my uh, professor review papers before. And so basically you sit there, you're like, okay, it's coming from this journal and this journal has like XYZ set of standards. Um, and so does this paper meet those standards? Did the experiments that they do make sense? Do they actually support the statements that they're trying to make? Um, and if not, what can they do to uh, like support those arguments? So a lot of times you'll send, um, like let's say I'm trying to say like, oh, um, my hair is red. And this is the conclusion of that paper, which my hair is red. <clears throat> I send the paper out. There's pictures of my hair. Uh, there's like readouts or whatever from like different machines that blast light through things and do the readout of the hair color or whatever. Um, and then the, the people, the reviewers look at it and they say, I mean, like probably your hair is red, but like, can you maybe also like tell us how many hairs you looked at? And from what regions of her head were you looking at? Because, you know, the sun can lighten the color of your hair. And so are the hairs like at the base of her neck that don't see that much sun, are those red? Like, you know, like those kinds of questions. And so then that comes back to me, the scientist. And then I have to <clears throat> either address or explain why I didn't address their concerns. So you send this like very big, like ask kissy paper back where you say, thank you so much for like this, for pointing this out. Like we will change what we said in this sentence to make it a little bit more objective. Like we will do this, like we did this experiment to address this problem. And this is why we think it addresses your concern. Or like you asked us to do this experiment and we're not gonna do it because like the tools don't exist or it's outside the scope of this publication or uh, there's this thing in the supplements that like, you know, we think already answers this question or whatever. Um, and then we send it back and then hopefully like that goes back to the reviewers and they say, yeah, okay, whatever, fine. Um, and then the journal will publish it. Um, but it, the peer review process basically exists to make sure that the conclusions that we're making in the papers we're sending in are actually supported by and within the scope of the data that we include in that paper, basically. There's also a lot of um, BS that happens in the peer review process, uh, <laughs> but that is like in its purest form, what the point of the peer review process is. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah, thank you for going over that. Cause I think, again, that's like more of a thing in the pure science world, especially than it is in like the engineering world. Um, yeah engineering the process is a little bit more like, has anybody done this before? No. Okay. Let's publish it. Like, you know, it's right. yeah. <laughs> not quite as, um, meticulous, I think, because you're not working with as many like large data sets and things like that a lot of times. 
Yeah. It's interesting too. Cause I, I always laugh, um, about engineers because like we, <laughs> it is like, you know, it's like STEM science, technology, engineering, and math. And so it gets lumped into like one thing, but the way that like life scientists and engineers are trained, uh, is like so different. And we have, um, in my lab, some people are working on engineering, uh, kidneys outside the body for, uh, organ replacement. So like, we don't need to rely on transplants because people die waiting on the transplant list for a kidney. Um, and so we're trying to figure out ways to basically like take, you know, a cheek swab from someone, get some of their cells, uh, differentiate them. So make them more like their embryonic cells and then, uh, tell them, okay, we're not going to make cheek cells this time. Like we're going to make a full on kidney, grow it outside the body and then transplant that back into the patient so that you don't have to wait for a donor and you don't have any problems with your body rejecting the transplant and like all this stuff. We are not close to that happening, but we get closer every day, like inching towards that finish line. Um, but so we have some engineers that like work in our lab and we collaborate with a lot of engineers and stuff. And we always laugh because like the engineers are like, oh, like we can, we can do that. Like, you know, we can make that, we can make that happen. And it's like, we're always like, oh, but the engineers never understand the biology of like what is happening. Like when you talk to an engineer, they're like, we made this cool thing. Like, look what it does. And then we'll be like, yeah, but like, how is that anything like anything that ever happens inside the human body? And they're like, yeah, well, you know, it's like kind of like it. And we're like, it's not really like, <laughs> and so yeah. it, it's really interesting to work with uh, other people in STEM because the training is just like so different. And our student in the lab right now, who's in bioengineering uh, is always like, you know, she is more interested in asking engineering questions and those are, uh, but she, you know, she's in bioengineering. So she's trying to do it in the context of the biology. Um, but it's, it's really, she, she has a hard time sometimes because like, she'll be like, I want to try and make this. And our professor who runs the lab will be like, mm, but what's the point? And even though it's like very valid in engineering, it's like, yeah, it's just very different. It's just funny. We love engineers, but <laughs> <laughs> we sometimes get a little bit uppity about the engineers. And I think the engineers sometimes are like, they don't care about any of it. Like, you know, they're always like tied up in the details and whatever, like, you know, they don't, they don't value the stuff that we're doing. Uh, so I think it's funny because even within science, there's these, uh, conflicts of communication and values and working styles that like it just is funny. Yeah. Yeah. That is one of the things I do like about engineering is I just feel like it's a little bit faster paced. It's like, okay, we don't need every detail. We need enough details to make this thing work. And then you can kind of like bootstrap it from there. Like it doesn't have to be this like carefully constructed house where every detail is perfect and reviewed and like fully understood. It's kind of like, well, that worked. So <laughs> right. Which like yeah. is really it can be really frustrating about science, but it's the same kind of thing of like people talk about, you know, our the United States government structure. Uh, it's like nothing ever gets done. Like it's so frustrating, whatever. And like, I think people can feel that way about science too. It's like nothing. And I can feel this way about science. It's like, you know, I'm going to work for five years. I'm going to publish, uh, you know, hopefully two papers on like my work. And it's like, ideally, the outcomes of my work will be like so wildly incremental to like anyone outside of the field. Uh, like hopefully people in the field will like it and think that it's cool and useful. Uh, but like, ideally my work will define like 
a very specific aspect of how the pancreas forms. Uh, and like, if I were to go into great amounts of detail, like probably the average person would be like, yeah. And like, you know, um, but I think in the same way that some argue that it's good that our government moves slowly because people can't swing in and like radically change the face of our nation or the structures that like maintain our culture and whatever, like you can't just come in and be like, we're going to totally change the way this government works. Like there is some, as frustrating as it can be, there can be some like safety in the slow pace of change. Um, and I think that that's exactly uh, how science is too. It's like, it moves really slow so that we can be sure that every step that we take is, uh, is legit. Yeah. You're going to be so good at science communications. Like I just, yeah, we definitely need people like you. And it's cool. Cause you're, you talked about how your parents are English majors. And I know your dad has done a lot of like public communications type work. And it's cool that you are, it's like you went and you got those like solid technical skills and then to like use that for the greater good and do that communication stuff is i think it's just going to be a really cool career and i just i'm like excited to to see you do that i feel like you're the perfect person to do that oh you're, <laughs> thank you so much thank you yeah i uh yeah. it's definitely like it's definitely a niche in science that mm -hmm. like is it's wide open more or less like yeah. there's a lot of people doing yeah. science communication but like yeah. So yeah. Thank yeah. you. To I will just well accept and... that compliment. How about that? <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> to do it well and make it inviting the way you do, I think is, is a rare thing. So I'm, I'm excited for you. <laughs> I wish everyone could see the stupid face I'm making, but that's, I, I really appreciate that. That's like very, uh, very, uh, close to my heart. So I appreciate it. Yeah, definitely. Is there anything else you want to share about grad school, science communication, anything else before we wrap up? Um, it's either no, or we talk for another hour. So probably, okay. <laughs> probably no. <Okay. laughs> I, uh, like many scientists love the sound of my own voice. So I could talk for days. We may have you back on, like, especially closer to like graduation time. And as you're looking for jobs and stuff, that would be super fun. Yeah. And once my actual work like comes out, I can talk about it in greater yeah. detail. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Which could be fun. Awesome. Well, thank you so much for coming on and we'll go ahead and wrap up here, but I really appreciate you and we'll link your um, Instagram and everything in the show notes so that people can find you. And um, yeah, again, thank you so much for being on. Yeah. Thank you so much for having me, Natalie. I was so excited when you invited me, so yes. I'd be happy to come back, but this was so fun.